Hey, modern explorers, you're listening to Midland in our own words, a bi-monthly podcast uncovering Midland County's history as told by you, our community and listeners. Each podcast, we'll introduce never before heard stories and tales through personal testimonials and memories passed down through generations. Subscribe to our podcast today to further discover the history of Midland County and send us a note if you have a story you'd like to share. This podcast is part of the Midland County Historical Society's Oral History Project. For more information, please visit midlandcenter.org backslash oral history. So my name is Afwa and today is January 23rd, 2021. I'm interviewing Ebenezer Deborah as a part of the Anti-Racist Midland Oral History Project and the Midland County Historical Society Oral History Project. Uh, we are speaking, I am in Boston, Massachusetts uh, right now and the interview is being conducted in Zoom. Um, the purpose of this interview is to learn more about Midland, Mid Michigan's, excuse me, Midland, Michigan's racial history and to understand the ways in which race has affected everyday life for its citizens. The goal of this project is to create a learning platform so that our community can understand our complex past, how that informs our present, and how we can work better together in the future. Um, so Ebenezer, uh, do you mind? Um, you, can, you, know, you can stop or pause the interview anytime, just let me know, and you may decline to answer any questions. Um, do you have your permission to proceed with the interview? I don't have any questions for you yet. <laughs> okay, sounds good. All right, so just the, the basic uh, biographical details. So your current place of, what's your current place of residence? So I live in Midland, Michigan. And how many years have you lived in Midland? So I've lived in Midland uh, 14 years and four months. Oh, okay. And then you, I assume you work in Midland, yes? Yes, I work in Midland. Okay. And um, did you attend any school or education in Midland at all? Not at all. In fact, I didn't even know of Midland until I came here. <laughs> and do you have any children who attend school in Midland? Yes, I have a daughter who goes to Midland High. Okay. And do you, um, do you volunteer or are you part of any community groups in the Midland area as well? Not really. Um, my daughter went to school in the Saginaw School District uh, until this year, until this academic year. And so, um, most of my activities were Saginaw uh, based, not Midland based. Okay. All right, so those were the biographical details. And so now I'm just gonna go ahead and um, we can get started in the interview. So first coming to Midland, I know you said you had never heard of it before you'd come here. Uh, what yeah. were your first impressions of Midland coming here? Um, so I came to Midland uh, 2006 in June. That was my first time of coming to Midland. And prior to that, no, I had been as far as to the Bertrand Mall, but I didn't, I never went past Bertrand Mall. And we lived in Ann Arbor, and I had no idea where Midland was. And I had never even heard of uh, Dow, <laughs> Dow, or Dow Corning, where I, I started. And so when I came to Midland, I thought it was very homogeneous in terms of the demographics. Um, so for example, uh, when we first came to Midland, uh, my first visit to Midland, I didn't see any black person. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of scary. Uh, knowing what I knew at the time, because I had never lived in a place 
as small as Midland before. And so that was the first impression that it wasn't very diverse. Mm -hmm. And can I, since I guess, you know, over the time, how do you think your impressions have changed in Midland? Is it kind of similar? Has it changed a lot, evolved or? It's changed slightly um, because I would say that there are more uh, people of color now than there were when I moved here. Yeah. Um, so when I moved here eh, at work, in my whole building, I was the only black person there. And um, but now there are maybe three or four, four of us, which is a quantum leap. Yeah. <laughs> uh, considered. Um, and I wasn't used to that because mm -hmm. I had lived in. I've always lived in big cities. I lived near New York. I lived in Massachusetts, Connecticut, and then I lived in Toronto, which is like the United Nations. Uh, you see all sorts <laughs> of people mm -hmm. there. So moving to Midland was a big uh, change for me. Yeah. And do you think that change has been more recent or has it kind of happened over like a long time? Because I know for me, like, I didn't think it was very diverse. And then when I went to school and then coming back, I, th I thought like, oh, you know, since I've gone to school, it's gotten a little bit better. But how do you think the progression timing wise has been? So, so the progression has been, um, I think, gradual. Mm -hmm. So when I, um, so I've worked in two places. Uh, so I worked in Dow Corning and Dow Corning became part of Dow. In Dow Corning, it wasn't as diverse. Mm -hmm. And I come to Dow and Dow is more diverse because Dow has a very big operation in, in Texas. And Texas, like, you know, is a very diverse um, population. Mm -hmm. So over time, I, I would say over the last four years, I've seen more diversity within Midland mm -hmm. um, than I did uh, the first, let's say, 10 years. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And do you think your the racial makeup of your social circle has changed and evolved as Midland has gotten more diverse? Or do you think it's kind of maintained the same dynamic? It's sort of maintained the same because, I mean, you associate with people who have similar interests with you, uh, not necessarily uh, because of color, but they have similar interests um, to what you have and they share the same values as you do. And not necessarily, okay, they are this color or that color. Yeah, interesting. So how, for someone who has never been to Midland before, uh, how would you describe the culture of Midland? I would say, I would say Midland is uh, probably more inward looking because uh, as I said before, uh, Midland is the smallest place I've ever lived. And I've lived in, I've lived on three continents and this is the smallest place by far uh, that yeah. I've ever lived. So the population is about 40,000. I've never lived in a place where the population was less than, let's say, 200,000. Yeah. And so um, it's more inward looking. Everybody knows everybody. Mm -hmm. And the thing about Midland that I find quite interesting is that you can never go anywhere and not meet somebody that you don't, don't previously know. Yeah. And that wasn't something that I was used to, having lived in like uh, big cities mm -hmm. where you can just go, go somewhere and then you don't meet anybody you, you know, but Midland is the opposite. Uh, everybody knows yeah. everybody and people tend to group in terms of interests, um, or values. So, um, I would say that in general, my impression is, uh, it's more inward looking and it's different from all the other places that I've ever lived. Yeah. It's funny. So, yeah, I know like, 
when we come home now, if our, if our mom ever tells us to go to the grocery store, like us, we'll kind of, well, we, we don't want to go just because we know we'll probably just turn it into. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's very, it's very true for Midland. Mm -hmm. um, so I know work has, you know, mostly been the reason that has kept you in Midland. So can you kind of describe some of your work experiences, um, you know, being, you know, the only black person, you know, I said at first, just how um, that, how that was experience was, I know it's kind of broad, but we can, you know, get into it a little bit more as well. Okay, so um, in terms of work, uh, as I mentioned before, when I first moved here, um, I was not used to being in a place where I was the only uh, person of color, but I sort of uh, gotten used to it. So I went to school in the UK, I went to school in the US too. And in most places, um, especially when I attended conferences, I would notice that I was the only person of color. I remember vividly, um, I went to a conference in France and I won an award. And the next day I was walking in the street and this Swiss guy just came to me and said, oh, how are you doing? And I was just wondering, why do I know this uh, guy? Because I don't remember ever meeting him. And he said, oh, you won the award uh, yesterday. And of course, um, it made sense because I was the only black person in the conference. <laughs> and so it was very easy for him to recognize me. Um, so in terms of work, I would say that because of the nature of the work that I do, I don't have a lot of interaction with people. I'm a scientist and um, most of science is really trying to think about problems and then coming up with solutions. And so your interaction with people is not like on a daily basis yeah. where you have to, as a matter of necessity, um, interact with people. Um, so sometimes I can go for days without ever talking to somebody because I'm focused on a problem. And so um, in terms of work, I would say the nature of the work has sort of isolated me from the daily interactions. Of course, we have to communicate our work. And so you interact with people on those uh, on that basis, but it's not like an everyday um, type interaction where you have to talk to people uh, because you have no. Um, yeah. yeah, and so also with um, you know I think Dow and Dow Corner are both very unique places, and so would you say? Do you think the culture of the work environment down Dow Corian is, is different than the, the um, culture that exists in Midlands? Or do you think it kind of that flows in the Midland culture kind of flows into the workplace as well? I think it, it does because I mean, you cannot really separate uh, the way somebody behaves at work versus the way they will behave at home. I mean, mm -hmm. at work, they have to um, abide by certain rules because every organization has their they have a way of operating. And just like any um, institution, they will have a set of rules that people have to abide by so that things can move smoothly. But human beings being what we are, you can't change yourself. You are what you are. And so if you're a certain way at home, some of it carries over to work. Um, I would say that what you see in the community, uh, what, what I see at work is also reflected in the community. Yeah. And do you think Dow and Dow Cornyn have, you know, made efforts to, I know they have been like, we've worked um, anti-racist myth and we've worked with, you know, employee resource groups in the past. 
um, just with advocacy and things like that. Do you think DAO is kind of making the efforts to make diversity, um, you know, a prominent topic in the workplace? Yes, I would say that uh, they've given more prominence to this in the last uh, few years. But I would say, especially in the last, let's say, two, last year and maybe the year before, they have formed advocacy groups. Um, they are giving more, um, they are giving a platform to people of color. Um, they, we, in fact, DAO has appointed a chief inclusion officer. We didn't have that before. Um, so they are making a lot of efforts to make sure that people feel included. I mean, this wasn't the case when I was in DAO County, but in DAO, they are really making an effort to make sure that uh, people feel included in everything that they do. That's good. So switching gears a little bit, we'll talk more about um, your child's experience in Midland and growing up and raising a child in Midland. Um, mm -hmm. So just in general, what, what is your overall experience of, you know, raising a child of color in Midland? Very, very broad question. <laughs> yeah, it's a broad question, but I'll answer it this way. So um, it all depends on what expectations you set. And so when you set certain expectations, sometimes the expectations can be met or they can um, not be met. And I tend to be very open-minded uh, in terms of expectations because you cannot control the way people behave and you cannot control the way people act. And um, you have to be proactive in terms of making sure that you put your child in a situation where they don't experience things that you don't want them to experience, okay? Mm -hmm. And so in general, I would say that it has not been as difficult as maybe what I read in the newspapers. Mm -hmm. All her friends are very nice. Mm -hmm. All my daughters, uh, the she hasn't experienced anything that I would even remotely call racism. Um, but having said that, it's just because of her limited experience with uh, how people behave. So maybe she might have encountered it and not realized it. Mm -hmm. And part of it is she doesn't know what she doesn't know. And yeah. so I would say that in general, it's been it's not been too bad, but having said that, I think we could do better just based on what I read uh, in the newspapers and then what I see on TV. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I think even, you know, this summer as the, the racial awakening kind of happened, I think mm -hmm. my brothers and I, we all kind of realized that there was a lot in, that we experienced in Midland that I think at the time we, we never even, you know, thought twice about. We kind of researched yes. it and then we, you know, leaving Midland, coming back, we, we were thinking about it and we're like, oh, wow, like, there was a lot mm -hmm. more that happened, you know, especially yes. in terms of race dynamics than we thought. But at the same time, I think my parents did the same thing where they kind of, they, they kind of just let it, they didn't make a big deal about it. They didn't make a big mm -hmm. fuss about it. They kind of just, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know at the time as well. Yes. So, you know, mm -hmm. and now that, you know, we left and came back, I think now we know. And so now it's just yes. reflecting on those things. So, um, yeah, I think it might be something that comes with age, but it's also just a, you know, as a parent, you want to protect your kid too. So it makes yes. sense. Uh, basically, that's what we're, we're trying to do. Yeah. 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 And so I know Anjali switched, um, she's, you know, gone into from the Saginaw School District into the Midland School District. How was mm -hmm. that transition uh, for her? Initially, it was difficult. And I remember you went through the same thing. You and Cookie went through the same thing when you came uh, back to Midland. And um, part of the reason was that she had never been to school in Midland. We live about 
two-minute walk from Woodcrest, but she didn't go to Woodcrest. She went to Handley. And so when she came to Midland Public School, um, the challenge for me was that I did not understand how the school system uh, worked. I had no idea how things were done. And so the challenge was trying to navigate um, the maze in terms of how the dynamics of how the school system um, worked here. And also the fact that she didn't go to uh, her last school, uh, her last year in middle school, she was in Saginaw, uh, sorry, she was in uh, Sasa. Mm -hmm. She didn't have a lot of uh, friends or she didn't have those connections that other people have. Most of the connections were people that she knew in Sasa who had um, transitioned to Dow High. And so for the first few weeks, it was more like, oh, I want to go back to Sasa. But as time progressed, she was able to connect with the other students. And um, I would say that uh, it's better now than it was when she started. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. We had the same experience, as you know. I think when we, no, I was talking to. I did an interview the other week with Jonathan Hayes, and we were, mm -hmm. I was talking to him, and I was saying when I first came to Dow, I hated it, and I attributed it to the size of the school at first. I mm -hmm. said, oh, this, you know, the size was too big, you know, blah blah blah. And looking back, I think internally, part of the reason I may have liked it is just because no one looked like me there. You know, Assassin is very very diverse uh, school, people from all walks of life, yes. all socioeconomic mm -hmm. classes, things like that, but. When yeah. I came to Midland, I think there was just no one that looked like me. And I think internally, looking back on it, that's probably part of the reason as to why I didn't like it. It's just because I didn't I didn't see anyone that, like Kofi was my twin was the only person that looks like me, right? So yeah. it's like there yeah. was no there was no familiarity in it with going to Dow. But yeah, it's mm -hmm. I'm glad it's you know eased out but, and it takes a minute to get used to, but mm -hmm. I think it, it's a it's a good learning experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember when I came to a graduation, um, I saw how diverse that that was and I was shocked. I didn't realize it uh, because um, we live very, as you know, we live very close to Dow High, and I had no idea about the demographics. Uh, mm -hmm. So when I came to your graduation, that was an eye opener for me. Yeah. And do you think um, anything has ever happened in Midland Public Schools or you know, even Saginaw Public Schools for that? Um, that, like in terms of curriculum or lessons, and I think that has made, you know, your daughter feel uncomfortable or, you know, made like the, you know, information was incomplete, things like that. So far, I would say no, because I try to keep up uh, with what is happening. And if um, I feel something is incomplete or something um, doesn't add up, I will follow up with the teachers. And most of the teachers have been good in terms of giving information. Mm -hmm. Because um, I think oftentimes what happens is if the parent doesn't follow up or doesn't show an interest in what they're kids are doing in school, that is when the teachers can take advantage of uh, situations. Mm -hmm. But if you follow up and they make it clear to them that you're not going to tolerate certain things, then they usually are forthcoming in terms of information and making sure that they are paying attention to your kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And in terms of, um, I know when I, I spoke to my parents actually about this the other day, I was asking them, you know, what was their decision to put us in Saginaw Public Schools, like Hanley, Sasa specifically. Um, a lot of it was just, you know, in terms of like the quality of education and stuff, you know, um, mm -hmm. but I, I also asked them, was there any type of uh, race component to as well, you know, any like, you know, just being raised and a little bit more of going to, you know, the early 
elementary school years in like a more diverse, um, open-minded area, um, was that part of it as well? So I kind of want to ask you the same thing. Was that a part of the decision for you as well? Okay. So uh, part of going to Saginaw Public School was because of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because uh, all of you, uh, you and your <clears throat> brothers have gone there. And as you know, I know your dad, your dad and I were uh, schoolmates. Mm -hmm. And so um, he had told me about it. And I was thinking about, okay, there's a school right here. But the more I listened to your parents, the more I realized that um, Angela would be better served going to uh, Handley. Mm -hmm. One, the, we went to all the different schools. I wanted her to see where she thought she fitted. And when we went to um, the Saginaw schools, she, without seeing the kids, just entering the building, she felt that, okay, this is the place I want to be. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that was part of the um, calculation. The other thing was the um, quality of education, just based on what I have I'd been reading and what I had um, also uh, sort of uh, got, gotten uh, out of um, people who had gone to the Saginaw Public School, especially Handley and Sasa. Mm -hmm. I was, I had him, I was of the view, or we were of the view that uh, Sasa and Handley were the right places for her in terms of mm -hmm. the demographics. And also in terms of the actual learning, like you said, I mean, you go to the Saginaw Public Schools uh, and then you have such a wide range of people different colors, different socioeconomic uh, backgrounds, all in the same class. And I think learning is enriched in an environment like that than to be in a class, uh, in, in a situation where everybody looks like you or everybody's from the same socioeconomic background. You don't really gain too much. So we felt that she would be better served in a place like Saginaw than in Midland. Although it was an inconvenience because yeah. Yeah, yeah. you have to do so if she misses the bus, I have to drive her all the way to Saginaw, which is more than 30 minutes away. Yeah. Uh, versus, let's say, five minutes or two minutes, uh, <laughs> depending on whether it was uh, elementary school or high school. So yeah. I, I think it was a mixture of uh, getting the whole experience, the whole learning experience, rather than just uh, the convenience of a school is nearby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think I was even just talking to a few friends that, you know, I, we went to Hanley Sass and then also transitioned to Dow with, um, we, there's a, there's a, a big, maybe about five of us or so who I went through that whole transition with. Um, and we were all talking the other day and just, you know, talking about how unconsciously we didn't realize, you know, it's such a unique place to be able to, as little kids, like we were hanging out with people, you know, with just such various backgrounds than our own. Mm -hmm. And we all got along so well. And like mm -hmm. that, that almost innocence bubble of innocence that that SASA created but like also just well of diversity as well which is so unique and we didn't you know obviously notice it or appreciate it at the time but it's such mm -hmm. a unique place and I think that's very mm -hmm. very instrumental in like how we how we evolved and we wouldn't have gotten that had we stayed in Midland mm -hmm. for, for elementary and then you know middle mm -hmm. school as well so perfect moving on um just I want to touch a little bit on because you have such a unique background in terms of you know living in such various diverse places so how do you think race um you know is 
how much of a you know role do you, you think race plays now in your life versus you know living somewhere like Toronto or you know UK things like that? I would say not very much yeah. <laughs> because um, I have a very unique uh, viewpoint um, in the sense that I tend to look at things very objectively, and I tend not to be too emotional about anything, um, and so. All the so let me so when I when I was in the UK, I lived in a place uh, which was that area was called the Midlands. So it's come full circle. So Midlands, <laughs> Midland, yeah. So um, and that was a not also not a very hum, um, diverse area. You see, if you live in London or Birmingham or Nottingham. Those are big cities and they are very diverse. Um, <clears throat> so when I was in the UK, where I lived wasn't very diverse. And so I have always been of the view that you have to be adaptable in order to survive. You have to have. And so I tend not to focus too much on, okay, this person said that, they said that. Um, I tend not to focus on those things. Okay. I tend to have very uh, targeted. Um, goals or objectives this is what i want to do this is these are the elements that are important to me and then have a plan for how i will do that some of these things there are things that you can control those things you have to make an effort to control those and there are things that you cannot control okay and you have to know who you are i know i'm not Martin looking i can influence the things that i can influence which are within my immediate sphere. Can I influence the whole world? Probably not. But I can influence the world through others. And that's the way I tend to look at things. I tend, I, you have to know what you are capable of and what you are able to do versus having this um, grand idea of, oh, this is not fair or that is not fair and I want to change it. When you don't have one, you don't have it tools or, and skills to be able to do that or you don't have the temperament to even affect that or you don't have the platform to do that so i tend to look at things um a little bit differently yeah i like that because i think that's what we're trying to do with anti-racist myth and we're just we realize like, I mean, we can't we can't change the world i mean there's a lot we can't touch and even within midland we feel like we came and you know, change mm -hmm. off Midland, but we're trying to change it through other people. And I think yeah. just having conversations is, is important mm -hmm. through that. Um, and so also kind of just in the realm of having conversations. I know when um, when June came around, you know, people had kind of reached out to me, you know, a lot of, you know, of my white friends had reached out to me kind of wanting to have these conversations and things like that. Did you experience something similar in terms of like people coming to your work or things like that at all? Not really. Not really. I didn't uh, really how people reaching out to me for my own business. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah. And I think, so have, have you ever had conversations about race with like neighbor, neighbors or like work, um, people at work in the past or no? Yes, I um, at work. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it, it comes up in different ways. Uh, <clears throat> so um, the way it comes out at work would be, so you'll be, in a meeting with somebody and then you are trying to make a point. Maybe the person has, an, has never met you. 
Mm-hmm. And then after the meeting, after the meeting, they may come to your office and then say, oh, you made a very good point about this or that. Um, by the way, I haven't met, I haven't met you before. Um, um, this and sort of <clears throat> introduce themselves and then you do the same. And they'll ask you, so um, where do you come from? And of course you give them your background and um, most of the time that is not what they are telling you. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's more like, okay, how did you get here? Yeah. First of all, they don't expect an African to be a scientist. And yeah. then um, how did you end up in a place like Midland? And so you just have to be patient. That my view is that you have to be patient. Sometimes people generally don't know. And, but if somebody's trying to be a jerk, you have to tell them that they're a jerk and then move on. Yeah. But um, most of the time people just want to know. And so you try to inform them. Um, and I try to do that all the time um, when I have an opportunity. For example, um, this kid that I work, one day asked me, so how can you understand all these things? And to me, that is not what he means. Yeah. How can I understand all these things? Most of the people at my level probably understand the same things, but you don't ask them that. So why are you asking me that? Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's more to do with, um, you have to probably see the undertones of that. Uh, it's more around, okay, how does a black guy know this? And then I'll explain to them, okay, I've been to here, I've had this experience and that is why I have this. And most people who have gone through what I have gone through will know this too. Yeah. And so I, I don't get angry about that. When I started, I used to get really pissed off when people asked me that. But <laughs> over time, you learn and then realize that, no, some of them have never worked with any uh, person of color before. And I didn't realize this. So one time, this kid that I worked with, I worked with him for almost five years. And the one day I bluntly asked him, so how many people of color have you worked with? And he says, apart from you, I've never worked with anybody. And I didn't know that. And so when he told me that it was really helpful, helpful in the sense that that means that you have to be very patient, try to explain things to them, and then put things in perspective so that they don't treat the next person of color the same way. And, and I've never been really been in a situation where somebody has mistreated me. And part of it is the nature of the work that I do. Um, um, as I said, it's not something where it's not like your dad, where you, you have patients coming in left, right. I don't have the people that uh, I come into contact with usually are speaking the same language. And we are all very, um, we are objective. The science is very objective. It's not yeah. like um, it could be this or it could be, it's either this or that. And that is okay. the way we operate. And so usually um, when I encounter situations where I think somebody is asking me something that is uh, not appropriate, I'll let them know. Mm-hmm. And I don't hesitate about that. I, I'll okay. let them know. Um, because my philosophy is that I don't depend on you. You don't depend on me. We can, it's a, just a transaction. And then after that, we go our separate way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I always, I always get a laugh out of the, like, I guess people ask me, you know, where are you from? And I'll say, oh, most of the time I just say Michigan, you know, whatever. And they'll say, oh, no, but wait, where are you really from? You know, that, oh, that yes. question, yeah. <laughs> I always, you know, sometimes, so some people ask, I'm like, okay, it's not big. And some people, it just depends, like, on the tone of the person. Because sometimes I'm mm -hmm. like, there's an undertone to it. It's like, oh, no, like, you, you know, you're, you're definitely something, you know, especially they see the name of Flo and they're like, oh, you know, yes. where are you actually really from, you know? So it's, yeah, sometimes <laughs> you just have to read, you have to read the undertones of, you know, what mm -hmm. people are saying and, and doing, but it also, I think having, you know, the way you were talking about it and just having to always take that extra step, I think mm -hmm. is in terms of taking care of other people who aren't necessarily aware. I mean, it's not their mm -hmm. fault, but you know, that made them the way it is, but sometimes I think mm -hmm. that can also contribute to like you know people you know black people being drained out and kind of tired of just having to always you know mm -hmm. be there to support themselves in a sense you know mm -hmm. so you know it's always it's very interesting and as i start to you know work in the corporate world as well it's something i've mm -hmm. noticed as well um so we'll see where my thoughts kind of evolve on that <laughs> but yeah um so just uh, last few questions um so we touched on this a little bit earlier at the beginning but do you think midland's stance on race um or overall culture has evolved um, and if so, in what ways? I can only speak to what I've seen at work, um, because in the larger community, um, I wouldn't be able to comment on it. But at work, I see that there's now more emphasis on making sure that people feel included, not just race, but people uh, feel included in terms of getting their voices heard. Because I've been in situations where in a large group, especially when the group is not very diverse and then there are only one or two people who look different, that their voices are totally ignored. And now, um, in terms of DAO, they are making a very conscious effort to make sure that that is um, not a situation and people are heard uh, and so, they, as, I, as I mentioned before, they have a chief inclusion officer who reports to the CEO. So it's a very high level position. And they have a lot of uh, initiatives to make sure that race is at the top of the agenda when they are look, looking to hire new people and also retain uh, the talent they have. Previously, that wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. So. Um, let me give you an example. So I, I work in research and development and we recruit from very specific schools, MIT, Caltech, uh, University of Minnesota, um, UMass, uh, Northwestern, UC Santa Barbara. Just recently, they have added the historic uh, H HBCU. Um, historically black, uh, historically black universities. Uh, yeah, the H, yeah, HBCUs, yeah. Yeah, HBCUs, yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah so they've added those to the list. Mm -hmm. Why? Because if you looked at the, so for example, if you look at the research and development um, talent profile, most people are not people of color. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at the demographics, the people of color are not represented to the same extent in the company as in uh, the larger population. And part of it is because you have to have a pipeline of people that you can hire from. But for the longest time, uh, the historically uh, black schools were not even considered. But now 
they make a conscious effort to make sure that they interview from people from those schools. So that to me, that is a plus mm -hmm. because, um, and part of it was advocacy. So people who were already working in Dow made um, the point of pointing out that, okay, this is not a very diverse area and that we don't have a lot of people of color in the organization and things like that. And that, I will give Dow a lot of credit for that to say that, okay, we will at a minimum interview people from these places and then see if you meet the Dow criteria, we, we, we will consider you. And they've made efforts at that and I've seen a, a few uh, black people come through the pipeline. So that, that's uh, a plus. So that is what I have seen from, at least in my workplace, the larger community, I cannot really comment on, on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and I think that's one of, you know, just that recruitment. Dow kind of leads the way in terms of, you know, bringing people of color to Midland as well. So. Do you think there are any other roadblocks, I guess, that prevent Black people from coming? Or do you think a lot of it has to do with, you know, Dow's like diverse, like their efforts in trying to recruit diverse um, talent? I think some of the roadblocks that I see is that um, when we first moved here, I nearly said, oh, why do I have to live in a place like this? First of all, it's not like I need a job. I don't need it. I can decide to go and work elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Okay. One, there's, there was nothing to do here. And if you're a person of color, there was even more nothing to do. <laughs> because there's anybody like you and you couldn't hang out with anybody. But <clears throat> in any situation that you find yourself, I think you have to look at it in totality. You cannot just look at one thing and then say, okay, because this thing is bad, everything is bad. You have to look at it in totality. One, um, it wasn't diverse. There wasn't too much to do here, but it's a very peaceful place. I mean, Midland is a very, very peaceful place. Um, for the longest time, I thought there was no crime in Midland until I started reading the newspaper, okay? Um, but th that is the type of uh, community that we have. Um, in terms of how I look at how things have changed. I, refresh me on where, 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 what the question you had, because I think I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> I just, I just wanted to know kind of what do you think the roadblocks are in, in having oh, more, okay. you know, so yeah. I think the roadblocks are what I'm enumerating, uh, which is that there isn't, a, there isn't a whole lot of things to do in Midland. Mm -hmm. um, anywhere you go in Midland is within 15 minutes and <laughs> If you see 10 cars, you have a traffic jam. So <laughs> it's, that is part, one part of it. And people of color have unique needs. Mm -hmm. So um, I was in a conference in Houston and um, somebody mentioned something which just totally blew me away. He said, oh, when you come to Midland, you cannot get uh, colliered grains. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, what do I need it for? But to them, it's important, okay? Mm -hmm. You cannot get uh, rice and beans and things. There's no place, there's no restaurant that serves. I mean, coming from my background, it doesn't mean anything. I'll eat anything. But um, those are some of the barriers. And if you also look at the history of, especially people who were born in this country, 
um, from the south. Midland is too cold for them. Mm -hmm. It's just too cold. And when they come to the community, they also realize that there are not that many people like them. And so they don't fit in. And so people like Dow recruits, um, like people of color, they come in after two years, they decide, okay, I don't want to live here and they leave. So part of it is having things to do here and then fitting into the community because they can identify things that cater to them. Like the first time I came here, I wanted to have a haircut and I didn't know where to go. Yeah. I asked your dad and then he showed me a place in Saginaw. <laughs> okay. And so when, when uh, you think about those things, you may think, oh, but that's not a big deal. But all of those things um, aggregate to make somebody not want to uh, come to Midland. Yeah, yeah. It's, when you were saying that, that's the hair is what came to my mind. I mean, I, yeah. I always went to Saginaw for my hair. And then a couple of years ago, my the hair lady I used to go to, she closed her shop. And so it sounds very extreme, but whenever we go to Toronto to visit family, that's like, uh -huh. I have a hair lady there now. So people oh, yeah. like, you go to, yeah. to get your hair done in Toronto. I'm like, well, where else are we going to get it done? <laughs> so yeah, that's funny. Mm -hmm. um, so just last question to wrap up, where, where do you see Midland going? You know, five years, 10 years, especially in terms of, you know, centering the, the concept of race in the middle of that. Where, where do you, what do you see the future of Midland as? I think if, um, if uh, again, going uh, coming from the perspective of uh, Dow, if what Dow is doing, permeates the larger community, I will see, I can see a lot of positive change, meaning that people of color wouldn't feel like, okay, they don't belong here. Um, because, and that doesn't happen in a vacuum. I mean, we cannot just talk about it without any action and then expect something to happen. Mm -hmm. If the community actually puts in place action plans, which actually, uh, Action plans, meaning, meaning that they think uh, diversity and inclusion, inclusion or inclusion and diversity is an important part of a thriving community. And so they have specific plans to make sure that happens. I can see Midland uh, flourishing um, because there, is, um, there are a lot of positive things about Midland. Uh, like I said, this is a very peaceful place. Uh, the cost of living is very low. Um, and so uh, there are a lot of things that are already in Midland's favor. And so if they're able to make sure that they are taking steps to make the community more diverse and, it, and people feeling included, then I can see that um, the community can really thrive uh, into the future. Because whether we like it or not, things are changing. The world is changing around us. and. Mm -hmm. You can either embrace it or run away from it. And chances are the organizations and communities that are run away from it are going to be left behind. Because uh, if you look at the world, let's say 20 years ago versus uh, today, 20 years ago, I probably couldn't be talking to you like we are doing now. Yeah. But now we're able to do it. Okay. 20 years ago, if you were older, you were necessarily uh, more informed. That is not the case today. You are probably more informed than me. And that is a fact. And that is how <clears throat> it has to be. Because in order for us to grow, then we have to, we have to make sure that we are going with the changes that are happening around us.
So I think Midland can thrive, but there has to be uh, a concerted effort to make sure that we are moving in that direction. Yeah, that's a good answer. Well, thank you so much, Uncle Benizer. I appreciate it. Ah, thank you. Okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of Midland in Our Own Words. This podcast is produced by Tridge Media Productions. To find out more about Tridge Media Productions or contact us, please visit www.tridgemediaproductions.com.